Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Well, hi, Tristan. Hi, Lauren. It's nice to see you again and be here again with you. You too. I'm so loving our weekly meetings. I know, me too. too. Um, Well, and so this is our first full-blown, (laughs) grown-up, real Real for real episode. Yeah. All the fuck in podcasts. Yeah. Uh, Welcome back, everyone. Yes. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for following along, listening in. And what we were thinking we would do today, well, for this episode and for the next one is we would interview each other. So today, Tristan, I'm going to interview you. And then next time you'll interview me and then we'll have some guests, which is also exciting. Yeah. Um, and I love, before we started recording, I loved um, what you said about being in a practice of locating ourselves, like social location before we get into stuff. So would you like to kick us off with that? Sure. I'd be happy to. So uh, my name is Tristan. I use they, them pronouns. I am a white, uh, gender nonconforming, non-binary and queer uh, person. Um, I'm able-bodied, college-educated um, mixed class, I like to say, which I borrow from Lama Rada Owens. Um, and, uh, you know, English as a first language born in this country, um, quite privileged in all of those ways and assigned female at birth. Thank you for kicking us off. Yeah. And it's interesting. I feel like every time I do this practice or hear someone else, I hear another layer. I'm like, oh yeah, that's another identity. Um, and if anyone out there is like, what are they doing? Google social location wheel. There's some great exercises out there for many different teachers. Um, I guess I'll just say I'm Lauren. I use she and her. Uh, I am a white lady (laughs) and, uh, I am a U.S. citizen. English as a first language. Um, my gender identity is what I was assigned at birth. I am college educated. I have health insurance. (laughs) I, 
Uh, what else? Let's see. Um, I come from, yeah, I like mixed class. That makes sense. Um, my, my mom was the first person in her family to go to college. I believe my dad was not, um, but I'm a couple generations away from like some pretty intense poverty. There's also a lot of mental illness and addiction in my family that Mm. also impacts me. Um, I'm a trauma survivor. Let's see what else. I'm oh, still- now I'm like, wow, I, that too. I know. It's I know, so right? good. It's <laughs> so good to hear other people put this into practice and also reflect on what you cannot see for yourself or the ways that right. you don't even know how to name or identify or locate your identities. It's just like, it's so good. Yeah. Absolutely. Another thing is I have no student debt, which is fucking insane. Yeah. Right. Like what a huge privilege. And I don't think, I mean, I come from a very white sort of upper middle-class suburb, um, is where I went to middle school and high school. And so it was very normal for people to have their college education funded by parents or someone else. And it wasn't until I got to school and realized how many people were in a shitload of debt to make that happen. And I don't have a monthly payment for that. Right. Like that's such a privilege. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, I'll get into this a little bit more when we dive further into the conversation. But yeah, I same no debt, which is yep. um, incredible and really unusual for for folks at our age. Absolutely, like even yeah. my credit card debt's like a few hundred dollars because of a trip I took <laughs> at one point. Like I'm so lucky. Um, yeah, or not. Not I don't want to say lucky. It's I'm so privileged. privileged. I have so it's many privilege. Yeah, yeah. I mean, something I heard about recently was pretty privileged too. Like if you have classically like quote unquote, good looking stereotypically. Yeah. yeah. Like, especially for white women, like if you kind of conform to beauty standards in a certain way, I think it probably helps me navigate the world with a different layer of safety and trust from people who don't know me. And I don't know, I feel awkward saying that, but it's something. No, I think it's absolutely true that that is a point of privilege that we're also often not discussing or naming or acknowledging when we're talking about the institutional identities that we hold or the way that the institutions of our culture see our identities and regard our identities. And Mm -hmm. it is like moving through the world as a, as a stereotypically attractive person, according to societal constructs of what beauty is, is absolutely a privilege. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And like, I'm in a smaller body, you know, things like that. I do have, um, I, I'm debating whether to call them disabilities, but I do feel like I have some invisible illness. Like I have chronic pain. That's still kind of a mystery, probably related to trauma, PTSD stuff, but, um, that's another thing I'm kind of exploring and just how that, how that shows up for people. Cause you don't always know what's, I mean, just like you can't tell someone's gender by looking at them. Totally. Yeah. Race by looking at them. Like yeah. And I never say like, oh, I've struggled with depression and anxiety when I identify my social location. Mm-hmm. But like, that's absolutely a part of my lived experience that impacts how I move through the world. Yeah. Completely. And it's all, I mean, all of this is interconnected. Yep. <laughs> right? like, it is. There's so much, so many layers. And I feel like we could do a whole episode about this someday. Yep. So we should make a note. Um, <laughs> But um, one thing I know we wanted to get into today was what your trajectory was from what you studied, how you got here. Are you even really doing what you went to college for and all of that good stuff? Yeah. So I really, I'm I'm struggling and I'll just name this before I dive in with um, the interview formats that I find myself in where I feel like I'm doing all the talking, even though I realize that it's an interview. So I'm just going to name that because I will likely be self-conscious. But um, so I 
think that we both introduced ourselves in the first episode, but briefly, I'll just say that um, at this point in my life and in my professional career, I'm a digital strategist and equity inclusion facilitator uh, for yoga teachers and, and healing arts practitioners and wellness practitioners. Um, and I do mainly, um, I focus mainly in LGBTQ awareness with an intersectional anti-oppression lens. And though I've always studied social justice in one form or another, this was definitely not the career path that I <laughs> thought I would be on. Um, and I got my bachelor's degree in 2004, 2005. Um, from UC Santa Cruz and I majored in politics with a minor in Latin American studies. And so I was at the time, yeah, I spent a year studying in South America and was like really deeply interested in um, the human rights abuses around the time of the dictatorships, the US backed dictatorships in the seventies and eighties and, um, and the social movements that emerged in response to those human rights violations. Like that was like, wow. It, I mean, first to recognize that like what we were taught about the US imperialist system was not actually true and that this was being demonstrated in foreign countries less um, or rather I should say more overtly than we were able to see it happening here um, was really eye-opening for me and then um, after undergrad I thought I would be a journalist and I was like yeah I was like the New York Times would be amazing. Or like at one point I thought Rolling Stone would be amazing. Like I had all these dreams and I thought I'd move to New York and intern and work with Amy Goodman at Democracy Now. And you know. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I do too. Um, talk about someone who works hard. Like she must never yeah. sleep, you know? Um, so I graduated from college and moved to New Mexico, which is a, a long story, but it was really influenced by my mental health at the time. I needed a, an environment that was um, more grounding, and I had family in Santa Fe, and it felt really um, healing and helpful for me and supportive, geographically speaking and like energetically speaking. And so I moved to New Mexico, and I got a job interning at an alternative weekly newspaper, and like six months into the internship, I got hired as a contributing writer and I was, I was on the path. I was making it happen. And then I just lost the spark, you know. Um, I fell into a relationship that at the time I didn't realize it, but was unhealthy and abusive. And I lost like my engagement in writing, my interest in politics, my interest in social justice. I just like became really apathetic in part because my partner at the time was fairly apathetic and like a really, um, well, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, we can talk about relationships and how they influence us maybe later, later down the podcast and how it relates to social justice and our work, of course. But um, so I, in that apathy felt like, what do I do? Where do I go? I was waiting tables. I was, um, you know, just going through the motions. And I thought I'll go back to school and get a master's degree because that's what you do when you're lost, right? <laughs> like just go back to school. Um, and a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I went to the University of New Mexico and got a master's in Latin American studies and human rights um, and continued uh, studying the Spanish language and um, was really immersed in human rights from like the like multidisciplinary standpoint. Like I was studying in the law department. 
um, and taking courses in law. I was taking courses in history. I was taking courses in um, sociology and the Spanish department and thought that at that point I thought, well, I'll move to Latin America somewhere and work for a human rights organization. And I finished my master's degree and became increasingly apathetic yet again. And it was around that time that my partner and I had decided to move to Portland, Oregon. Um, and I had reconnected with my yoga practice at the time and knew that I wanted to find a teacher training um, once we settled in Portland. And a couple years after settling there, I found a training that was a yoga and social justice training. Um, so I completed that in 2015. And that was when I really started like to have some awakenings. Um, though the training itself was really not as social justice informed as it claimed to be, I, I was having personal awakening, awakenings relating to social justice and relating to my own healing. And like healing from trauma, healing from toxic culture, you know, I was like finally ready to claim my queer identity publicly for the first time in my life, like things like that. And I felt like I couldn't do it and stay in the relationship I was in. And so I left that relationship in early 2016 and just like everything changed. Um, my yoga practice deepened. My, I developed community and friendships in a way that I had never had before. I was out as a queer person in terms of my orientation, though still um, identifying as cis at the time. And um, it just, everything started shifting. And that was around the time that I started more deeply engaging in studies of trauma, um, of racism, of feminism. Feminism was really the way in for me because it felt like such an empowering thing to connect with after leaving a relationship that wasn't healthy. Um, and so, yeah, the feminism train led to the studying anti-Black racism train, which led to, you know, studying also all forms of social justice and um, more deeply investigating gender and LGBTQ issues. Um, I, around the time of my yoga teacher training, I had befriended someone who introduced me to a YouTube video, which I believe is called Raising Ryland. Have you heard of this? I haven't. Okay. I think we'll have to double check that that's what it is and maybe put it in the show notes because I, I keep wanting to refer it to people. It was the first time that I was exposed to um, really understanding what, a, what trans identity was and looked like. And I just had such deep empathy. It, 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 the video depicts a child who's, who's, who's advocating for their gender identity as it is different from the sex they're assigned at birth. And I had such a strong reaction to watching that child's experience. Um, and just felt like, well, as a queer person in terms of my orientation, clearly I'm passionate about LGBTQ rights. And anyways, again, you know, I, I want to make sure I get to like how I got here professionally. Oh, so this is so, I mean, it's all part of it, right? It is. None of it is insignificant. Right. It is. It, that's the weird thing is like, so in all of this, I will just backtrack for a minute and say that I... I had gotten the opportunity to work for my father, who um, his name is Gary Katz, K-A-T-Z, and he's um, one of the leading educators in the carpentry industry. And at the time, for almost 20 years, he was traveling the country teaching in-person educational events to professional carpenters, contractors, and home builders. And 
he needed someone to help him with event coordination and marketing and website design and um, booking his hotel rooms and contacting sponsors and, you know, getting the contracts together and just all the things that a business like that needs. And I wasn't at all interested because I had never been interested in carpentry, but I needed a job that got me out of the restaurants and supported me through grad school. And that very much did. And so while working with my dad, I developed this whole like diverse range of skill sets and found that I was really adept at learning new platforms and new technologies and creating systems and, you know, coming up with all the things. And so I helped him do that for 15 years and saw him through to retirement, which was a gift for both of us. You know, um, it really like, it gave us a, an opportunity to move into an adult relationship together and create a different kind of connection. Um, and it supported both of us financially. And it was just really amazing in many ways. And I just kept thinking, though, like, I've got this bachelor's degree. I've got this master's degree. I'm not using either of them. I'm working in event coordination in the construction <laughs> industry. I speak <laughs> Spanish. Like, I have no interest in, you know, using power tools or making things. And I'm not doing anything with my passion for activism or social justice. And there was definitely a lot of, like, getting down on myself. Um, you know, I think our culture teaches us, like, or has historically taught us, you pick up career path, you go to college, you become that thing. And that's the thing that you are for the rest of your life. And hopefully you're happy, you know, when you're 18, you have to right. figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> figure it out. And that's it. You're locked in. Um, was I happy every morning going to work, you know, with my dad? No, day in and day out. I wasn't all that happy. It was a means to an end. Um, it was a rich experience in many ways. And I was also working in a, you know, very male dominated industry and getting a lot of pushback around that. And like people assuming that I wasn't someone that had any authority to talk about the things that I was talking about. Um, and then sometimes people assuming that I knew a lot more about construction than I actually <laughs> did. So my dad, it was not long after I left that relationship that I was settling into this new life and reconnecting to my passion for activism and social justice and my yoga practice. And my dad decided that he needed to work towards retirement. And I thought, oh shit, what am I going to do now? <laughs> I started applying to jobs. Like, I was like, maybe I'll look at executive director of nonprofit positions, you know? Um, maybe I'll manage a nonprofit's event calendar. Like, I just, I really did not know where to begin. And I was terrified to, um, you know, my life had been like up to me and my own schedule for so long. I had worked from home. I could work anywhere. Sure. I needed to be at my desk, generally speaking, nine to five, but like, you know, there was a lot of flexibility and freedom and autonomy. And I just felt like in applying for jobs and looking at what was next, I was afraid of losing all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that was, by then it was like summer of 2018, I put out these feelers on Facebook. I was just like, look, I need some work. It can be part-time to start. Here are my skill sets. Here are my interests. I like yoga. I, at this point, I had also managed a yoga teacher's business in Portland. I had done like her scheduling and private client work and, you know, helped her through teacher trainings. And so I was like, I've got that skill set. I had taught yoga for years by that point. 
Um, you know, I said, I speak Spanish. I'm interested in social justice work. I just like listed it all out on Facebook. And two yoga teacher friends in Portland contacted me and they said, you know, I need a website. I need retreat coordination. Would you help us develop, you know, content for the teacher training we want to put on? And by the end of 2018, I had like four to five clients and I thought, wow, I, I've got a part-time job. Like, this is great and I'm enjoying it. Um, I remember having client meetings and being like, I've got client meetings. You know what I mean? (laughs) 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 Like it's such a bizarre feeling. And to suddenly realize too, that after all the years of feeling like I was lost or like I was going in the wrong direction to realize that I had something to offer these people was really kind of mind blowing for me. And I remember having a meal with, with one of the clients at the time and saying, you know, I've got to figure out a way to blend yoga and social justice. Like, I've got to figure out a way to bring social justice work into my work supporting yoga teachers. And I want to make this into a full-time gig. And I've got to figure out how. And it wasn't long after that that I found Michelle Cassandra Johnson's book. And when I read her book, I was like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Like, the Mm -hmm. two can't be separated. We can't talk about one without the other. When we're avoiding conversations about what's happening outside the studio, we're, we're, not, we're not in connection to the practice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're, we're ignoring and turning a blind eye to something that's very real that's happening to all of us in this room and that we're carrying into the space. And I just learned so much from her reading her book and then went to an in-person at the time training with her and I, uh, she, we, she and I have, have kind of, uh, you know, laughed or smirked together about this, but I knew she was looking for help with her work. And I walked right up to her on the first day and handed her my business card and I was terrified. And, (laughs) and then I honestly shut the hell up the rest of the weekend because it was the first time that I was in a mixed race space talking about racism Mm -hmm. and um, as a white person, I just felt like at that point in time, it was really, it was up to me to just listen. And so I listened and walked away having a ton of questions, um, which is exactly the point, I think. And uh, Michelle contacted me not long after that. And that was like my first big, you know, anchor client, I like to call her, um, though, obviously, she's so much more than that. And uh, and everything has just grown and evolved from there. I feel like it's just so amazing to think about how long I was lost and, and confused and then to see how everything just like started to click so rapidly almost. Like it was not long after work, starting to work with Michelle that I posted something on my Instagram account relating to white supremacy and I felt like this is it. Like I'm going to use my platform and I'm going to name these things and I'm going to talk about them with my clients and, and I'm going to find a way to keep having this conversation in yoga spaces. And Michelle's kind of paving that path for so many of us to do so. And it's all just kind of evolved organically from there. Oh, so I love how you started off saying that you feel a little self-conscious when 
you're interviewed and asked questions and then you feel like you're talking. I mean, everything you shared, I'm sitting here putting myself in the shoes of someone who might be earlier in their career or trying to figure out how to bring all of these different things they care about together or someone thinking about finally going freelance and just how helpful everything you just said is Mm. because- I, it, can I reflect back a couple of things? Please, because okay. I don't hear it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Number one is how much um, leaving that relationship that was abusive and toxic launched you into all of this rapid growth. I have a similar story um, at different points in my path, and I see it so often with my coaching clients. I see it so often with my friends. For anyone out there, I'm not telling you to break up with your significant other. Um, but if, but whatever the, like for me, it was also getting sober. Like if there's a thing that's replicating trauma you've been through or is currently causing trauma, it's really fucking difficult to get in touch with your purpose. And so you feeling lost all that time, like, of course you did, you were surviving. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you always had that spark, but it became like a really tiny ember for a little while. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I, you know, I also see too that when I started publicly claiming my queer identity mm-hmm. and diving more deeply into understanding LGBTQ issues, it then it was like like you're saying, like something shifted the minute I moved in a certain direction and everything started popping and the growth became accelerated. And next thing you know, I'm like questioning my gender identity and then discovering that I don't identify as cis and Mm -hmm. then coming out as non-binary. And I just, you know, it is such a bizarre thing to think back and look back and realize that so many different things were holding me back from being true to who I am. And it's really hard in this culture to figure out who you are when society is telling you who you should be all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I just felt a huge (laughs) breath leave my body because yeah, it was, I mean, I'm sure we were told slightly different stories, but also like growing up assigned female at birth, like there's so many layers of toxic bullshit. (laughs) And there's also, you know, being indoctrinated into whiteness and white supremacy culture and like that hustle, which I know we're going to talk a lot more about on this podcast. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. Like once you pull one of those little threads of cultural conditioning, how sometimes the whole tapestry just unravels. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, working with my father, which was amazing, you know, I could not speak up about injustice that I was witnessing. I couldn't speak up about sexism. I couldn't speak up about, you know, I just couldn't, you know, he was raised in a different generation and he was very much immersed in, in grind culture and Mm -hmm. didn't know any other way other than hustle. And like, frankly, he was a workaholic for most of my childhood, you know, and (laughs) in some ways that's how he got through his shit. You know what I mean? Like he used work as an outlet. Um, And it helped him reconcile parts of his identity that he needed to heal. And I just like, it's amazing now when I first posted about white supremacy on Instagram, I was visiting my father and he said, you're going to post about white supremacy on your business account. And I was just like, yeah. And he was like, okay. You know, (laughs) and it's like, well, dad, we're in a different time now. Like we, we can name this stuff now. We have to, we have no choice. And you know, gone are the days of being silent. Like Mm -hmm. we can't be silent anymore. And I, I'm, you know, I'm having to teach him that, you know, and, 
and teach him the ways in which we've been implicit um, in racism and the ways we've benefited and the ways in which it's been so subtle that we haven't even seen it. Um, and finding my voice in that process in against the stream of dominant culture and of my even my closest family telling me to do otherwise is like, it's been incredibly hard and incredibly empowering, you know? Yeah, empowering is, I think, the perfect word for that because I think so much of all of these toxic systems like uh, patriarchy, white supremacy, um, like, uh, what am I forgetting? Capitalism. Capitalism. <laughs> Just that little thing. Sorry. My no coffee, big deal. <laughs> coffee is still kicking in. Um, but it, it's like the lie it tells us that's so insidious. Well, there are two that I feel like always come up. Number one is everything's fine the right. way it is. We already solved all that stuff back Yeah. In the oh, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or number two is you actually can't do anything about it. Correct. Like I ask myself constantly, who benefits when I don't claim my power? Who benefits when my clients stay out of their power? Who benefits mm -hmm. from me staying small and silent and scared? Um, and uh, I, I hear so much about like how truth telling in a radical way really was like a practice that you've been in in the last several years at least. And I also wonder if that yoga teacher training and the practice of being in your body yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think, I think there was a few things that happened that year that I did that training and I did, I ended up doing two 200 hour trainings with the same teacher back to back. Cause I like couldn't get enough. And mm. part of what I think was happening was a community, which I really, really needed. I needed community outside of the confines of my relationship, which was very isolating mm -hmm. um, in order to feel like, Oh yeah, there I am. Like I'm a person apart from this other person, you know? Um, so the community piece was important. Um, I was meeting other queer people who were validating my queer identity and encouraging me to be out, which was incredibly important. Um, and the, the embodiment part, like I've struggled with disordered eating and body image since I was a teenager. That was the first time that I started to understand that I was using the practice of yoga, the physical practice to further the body image issues that I was having yep. rather than heal them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that training year really helped me get clearer about what I was using the practice, the physical practice of yoga for. And it helped me be in my body in a way that felt easeful and mm -hmm. empowered and clear and less fragmented and plagued um, and challenging and difficult. Um, not to say that I won't have those challenges again. I'm sure that I will. Um, but yeah, it was a pivotal moment for me. I mean, it was literally like, to me, I feel like that was, that year was a waking up year. By the end of the year, I was like, okay, I need to be dating women, um, which was my thought at the time. You know, I need to be dating women. I need to be single. I need to be out of this relationship. I need to be practicing yoga. I need to be teaching yoga. Like all these things that I felt like I couldn't do being the person who I was. And I mm -hmm. felt like I needed to leave that relationship in order to the door to open the door to the person who I could become. And I knew it. I knew that if I left that relationship, something would shift and change in, in big ways. And it really did. Yeah. yeah. And that moment can be really scary. Like our, our brains will throw up so much resistance because we've evolved to want the familiar. Our reptilian brain equates familiar with safe. Even if the familiar is super shitty in some way, there's still a level of feeling like you're in control because you know the shitty you're getting. <laughs> yeah. It's so, so 
such a mind fuck. Um, it I, is. And it's also like, I just want to name, like it, I had a lot of privilege to be able to say like, I can afford to leave this relationship yes. and I will find my way. Um, I knew I would be safe if I left the relationship. I knew that I wouldn't, you know, be risking my physical safety by leaving. Like mm-hmm. there were so many different moments that I feel like, you know, yes, it was hard and it was also relatively quote unquote easy in comparison to what mm-hmm. I know other folks experience. And, yeah. and yeah, yeah. Well, and another thing I'm hearing and so much of what you're sharing is integrity, both in terms of claiming all parts of yourself, which of course is a forever process. There's always shadow work and whatever, but yeah, like in the last four to five years, like a really radical practice of claiming all of those parts of yourself, being in integrity with your body, with who you are and with how you show up in the world. Like one thing, um, I work really hard to practice and I'm not great at it because I'm a recovering perfectionist (laughs) is I try to be the same fucking person, no matter who I'm in front of. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's definitely something that's coming through and everything you're sharing. I was also curious, um, do you know your Myers-Briggs type? I don't. I've done all of these tests and I can never remember what I am. (laughs) Okay. I'd be really curious. Um, I'm wondering if you're INTJ. I think I'm INFJ. (gasps) That's what I am. Oh my God. Okay. Well, we're a good fit then. (laughs) Well, the thing about INFJ is we're rare and we really like that we're rare. (laughs) Yeah, that that resonates. (laughs) So anyway, well, we'll we'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, uh, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, I'm just acknowledging, I just want to acknowledge, I did not plan to talk about a toxic relationship on this episode. And I like didn't plan to talk about the pivotal moment in which I left that relationship. It just like, that's what came through when you asked the question and like, yeah. I didn't talk about my trajectory without naming that. And I know it's beneficial Absolutely. for people to hear and it's yes. scary for so many reasons to make it public. Um, yeah. so yeah. Well, and we can always edit out whatever you yes, need. I know. Um, <laughs> and you can leave that in if you want. I might. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think to be honest, like for me getting out of my toxic slash abusive relationship, like hearing other people's stories is what really helped. Yep. Um, so I hope that this is supportive for anyone who needs to hear it. Yeah. And yeah. You're definitely channeling through whatever needs to come through right now. And like those, it, our personal, speaking of integrity, our personal and professional lives are not separate. Like, yes. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a lie that we're all taught. We're all taught yes. to compartmentalize parts of ourselves to be successful in our professional identities. We're taught to leave certain parts of ourselves at home, not to speak up about certain things that matter to us. You know, I've had friends who are non-binary and don't want to claim they, them pronouns in their workplaces because they don't feel safe. So then they're moving through their workplaces constantly having to battle that inner experience of, of being misgendered because they don't feel comfortable advocating for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's so many reasons we're told to compartmentalize and it's all just such, I mean, it, compartmentalizing for safety is one thing, obviously. Right. And I just right. want to acknowledge that. I know that that is an experience for many, unfortunately. And I feel very fortunate to be in a place where I don't have to put any part of myself aside. And even when I show up to a session with a client, I've had the experience of showing up when I'm really emotional and like, I get to learn how to let that like be known to someone, even though I've been told, don't ever share that with someone that you're serving in a professional relationship, you know? Right. 
I've been told I'm supposed to be the one holding the space. I'm supposed to be the one keeping it together. And that's not how meaningful relationship works. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, there's a reason that I'm working with yoga teachers and wellness <laughs> practitioners and not like lawyers or doctors, though I'm not saying anything negative about lawyers or doctors. I just like, I'm choosing to be in spaces where all of you is hopefully going to be seen and held and appreciated and accepted and welcomed. And I'm trying to learn to do that for myself too, both personally and professionally. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And I, I am venturing to guess that part of why you've kept with it in entrepreneurship, even though I'm sure some really cool full-time jobs may have come across your desk at some point, like there's, there is so much risk involved in being an entrepreneur, but also so much freedom like to be able to bring all of you into whatever work you're doing and to choose what work you don't want to fucking do. Yes. And the thing I keep seeing both of us do too is like something can shift and evolve and like maybe we no longer do this particular service and instead we provide something else completely different that's more aligned with where we are as we shift and evolve and grow. And we get to say like, now it changes. I'm no longer doing that. Mm-hmm. And I did have an astrology reading years ago, the only reading that I've had. And the astrologer was saying to me, you need to be in a place of leading an organization or running your own thing. And mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, that resonates. But I just figured like, again, I will work at a nonprofit and I will be in an executive position and that's my path. I just know it. <laughs> and, you know, I just, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm blown away to be here and having success doing what I'm doing and really enjoying it and supporting people that I love to be supporting and who inspire me and collaborating with people. I'm gesturing to Lauren, which you can't see, but collaborating (laughs) with people who light me up and like, it's, it's, I feel really lucky. Yeah. also lucky that we're still getting to do what we want to do in COVID. Like, right. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, first of all, I feel so another layer of privilege is that I don't have children. Um, and that, then that's not to say that if you have children that like you're somehow, I I don't know. I I've said that to people before and they get kind of upset, but I, I just mean that I don't have financial and, and time resources going toward caring for another human right now. And I cannot, like anyone out there who's taking care of children, educating them right now, like my heart goes out to you. My little sister is a second grade teacher and I just, some of the stuff she shares with me, I'm like, And Um, I don't know how the parents are doing it with kids schooling at home. Like, how do you work? Like, how do you take care of yourself? I struggle and I have a dog. I know. I have a cat. (laughs) She's a foster cat. She's not even my cat. Um, Yeah. Like- uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I I don't know. I, I guess where I'm going with this is people make things work that need to work. Also, another reason why we need justice, like in our public policies. I read something, I'm getting us off on a tangent, but That's I read something good. earlier in the pandemic that was proposing a policy where the government basically pays parents to stay home and mm. educate their children at home. But I mean, they, wouldn't that be brilliant? Yes, but they wouldn't lose their jobs if they did that. Like, it, it would be like a – anyway, I thought that Well, that's was, too socialist, Lauren. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Taking care of families? Wow. I know. <laughs> um, but uh, – oh, I, I was going to ask you and put you on the spot again. Do you know your sun, moon, and rising? Yes. Okay. So we should do that. We should ask guests that too, maybe. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, my first, God. First, you have to locate yourself, and then we want to know your chart, please. <laughs> um, I am a Cancer Sun. 
uh, oh my God, oh my God, Scorpio, Moon, Leo, Rising. I was about to say, I feel like you're a Leo Rising. I remember that. Okay. So my, yeah, my sister's a Cancer Sun, but she comes through so much with her rising sign. And Mm. that makes sense that, you know, this astrologer told you, you either need to be in charge of all the shit at whatever place you work, or you need to work for yourself. Like that. Yeah. That's, that was part of my journey too. Like, I don't, I don't want a boss ever again, even client work. I don't want Yep. It needs to be a collaborative relationship, not a hierarchical relationship. Yeah. 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 I feel that deeply. Yeah. Because that was one thing I was going to say is on the, on that line we were talking about with, we get to pick and choose what we do and you're putting yourself in spaces with people who can hold all of you and whatever's going on with you. Part of that too is um, like, yeah, choosing the type of work you're doing for them, for how long, what structure and I, I feel like we'll have several episodes all about money because I really want to know more about your like money mindset journey. Yeah, but I, yeah. But quickly, I wanted to check in. How are you feeling about the time? Because I feel like- I haven't even been looking at the time, so that's yeah. a great question. How long have we been recording? Let's just keep we going. We an hour ago, so maybe 40 minutes. Let's go for another 10 or 15. Okay, that sounds good. That feels good? Okay. Yeah. Um, and is there anything I haven't touched on that you want me to get into? Um, not that I can think of. I love how this is just like rolling all over the place. I can keep just winging it. I really, yeah, I love winging it. You're also a great interviewer. Let me say, yeah, I think you're doing an excellent job. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, am I talking too much? Um, so actually let's get into money stuff. Yeah. So, um, one thing that's come up a lot for me personally lately and other clients um, is oh, earning money is not the same thing as exploiting people because mm-hmm. capitalism has taught me earning money is exploiting people. Right. So I'm kind of curious because you mentioned starting with four or five clients, it was basically like a part-time job. Mm-hmm. At what point did you feel like you were sustaining yourself, maybe beyond sustaining, even like profitable and doing really well? So- I started summer of 2018. One year later, I was like, uh, this can sustain itself. Um, so by summer 2019, I thought this can sustain itself. And by summer of this year, 2020, I felt like, wow, I'm making more than Yay! I need. Yeah. It's I'm like pumping my fist. <laughs> I don't even know how to feel it. Like I honestly don't. My father and I, I'm visiting him right now and you know, he continues to be a source of support and mentorship on some level for me, even though we have very different values and approaches to things. But we were both just remarking like, I can't believe that I'm making enough money to live. Like, I can't believe that I'm making enough money to put some aside for savings or to like freaking pay quarterly taxes, which I have not been doing. And so I know that's going to be a huge chunk of change, you know? Um, Yeah. I'm just like, I can't believe I'm here and I'm constantly afraid it's going to go away. So... (laughs) You know, because I relate. I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> no, I know you're not. I don't feel that at all. I just keep thinking, like, yeah, 2020 has been incredible, and I like, which feels unbelievable considering it's a pandemic, um, and so many people are without work. And I just keep thinking, like, I don't know where where this is going to go. My work, like, maybe I don't work with yoga teachers in another two years. I don't know, but obviously, the nature of of yoga as a as a 
industry is shifting amidst COVID as so many other industries are. And so there is a lot of uncertainty and I'm sure that my clients are feeling that. And, um, and I feel it too. And it's scary, you know, working for yourself and not knowing if next year is going to be the same as this year is scary. And I am trying to celebrate that, like, I've made this thing happen, you know, from scratch on my own. And, you know, when we talk about money, a big part of that is figuring out how to charge for my time, which is, I mean, that's an ongoing process. But, you know, one of the things that I've learned, and like you're saying, like, we will, money will come up again and again, I'm sure in our podcast. Forever. (laughs) And we will keep talking about it. Maybe we'll spend the whole episode on it at some point. But one of the things I've learned is, is I'm not just charging for my time. I'm charging for all the years that I put into amassing the skill sets that have led me here to make yes. my time actually less, right? Like yeah. I might only take 15 minutes to create this graphic for this workshop offering that my client is putting together. But the reason it's taking me 15 minutes is because I spent 20 years fooling around with graphic design and you know, having to give myself permission to charge, not based on the time I put in is like, it's, it's a practice. Um, yeah, it's so hard. Um, it really is. I also had, uh, so Dr. Kate Thomas is, uh, she's a witch and a psychic and she's the only person I will get readings from probably ever. Uh, and she said to me one time that, making my work accessible does not mean making my time accessible. Mm. Like things like this podcast, this is going to be free. Um, and like that, that's one way of the work supporting people. Like I'm going to have hopefully like a, a good flow of different leveled price offerings at some right. point, but like an hour of my time or like depending on what I'm doing in that hour is going to vary. And depending on who I'm doing it for, like if I'm doing it for Michelle, who we both do you work for, um, I price her differently than someone who is not a black woman working yep. in social justice. Like, yep. sorry, white people, I charge you guys a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into more about that later, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, not all the time, right? But um, yeah, or if I get like a, this hasn't happened yet, but if I have a corporate client, that's going to be a different contract. Yep. Um, yeah. So I think some of that more linear, uh, yeah, black and white, yes. like logical, quote unquote, thinking. Absolutely. It's so problematic and really sets us up to undervalue ourselves, undervalue our time, undervalue the relationships we're building. And I remember saying to someone I had met when I first started my business, like, I can't do anything for free. Like, mm. you know, I can't do any, pro- I can't take on any projects for free. And I was like very like rigid about it. And within six months to a year, I realized that actually um, giving my time to something that was meaningful to me, like that wasn't doing anything for free, you know? And right. one of the things I'm learning about or trying to is, is that the compensation Though obviously we live in a capitalist society that's run on dollar bills and, and, you know, the money system, compensation doesn't always have to be dollar bills and and financial. And that's tricky, right? Because we do need to earn money. We do need to pay our bills. We do need to make ends meet. But let's say I'm supporting a yoga teacher with a 20 minute conversation. And this person also happens to be a dear friend. Like, how do I charge them for that conversation? You know, and how do we navigate a conversation about how we're going to negotiate that compensation? And Mm -hmm. to me, having the, like, 
having that person say to me, I want to charge you what feels comfortable and me saying, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And then ultimately deciding like, just buy me a cup of coffee, you know, like, totally. like energetic exchange, thoughtfulness, um, asking outright, like, what do you feel is appropriate here? Like all of these things are about like co-creating an alternative way of thinking about how we respect one another and, and one another's work in a way that isn't heavily influenced by capitalism. Yes. It's relational, not transactional. I hear that all the time. I recently have just out of nowhere have had two friends ask me to write some website copy for them. Um, They're both people who like, they love doing design work and all of that, but copy makes them feel really stuck. And for me, it's, I'm the opposite. I can't fucking stand design stuff. <laughs> and you excel at copy. Yeah. So when we have a website up, just so you all know that the, that's all Tristan. <laughs> we have very little to do with that. Um, but uh, both of them offered to pay. And my gut instinct is always to be like, no, 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 no. And sort of deflect it. Yep. And in my own money mindset work, I love what you said. It's an energetic exchange, right? And so because this is like sitting down and doing some deep writing, I'm like, you can just pay me what a coaching client would pay me for an hour. Like that right. feels, and I'll probably work longer than an hour on it, but like it it feels, yeah, I have to be open to it because I would also pay them to do something like that for me. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like a 20 minute conversation with a friend. Yeah. Buy me a tea or something. Um Yeah, but it's tricky. And I think like we're saying, like it really is centering relationship and centering like a conversation that's like, I see you. I know that you're bringing in labor here and years of expertise and experience. And I think about this too, in terms of like positioning myself as someone who's teaching LGBTQ awareness, sensitivity, inclusivity, whatever word we want to use, they're all kind of fraught, to be honest, but, you know, we still need them in order to move through this particular moment in history. Um, Teaching that kind of content, folks reach reach out to me on Instagram and ask me for questions, ask me questions, and Mm -hmm. I, I don't always know how best to respond because it's like, well, these questions are, are speaking to my own lived experience. And so for me to answer, that's my emotional labor, right? And yep. I and need to be, time. and my time. And yet for me to say like, I'm sorry, I can't answer your question. That's clearly like important about how to use they, them pronouns and also do a Google search. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. like, it's so tricky and it's, it's really hard on social media to navigate that. And I'm learning a lot from black women in particular who are talking about this right now and who are talking about like how their work deserves to be credited, how they deserve to be compensated. And I think I struggle with, you know, um, all the years I spent identifying as a cis woman and settling into my genuine, authentic identity, which is not cis. And, Mm -hmm. and like, what does it mean to have lived all those years with that kind of privilege? And to now still have that privilege because people assume that I'm cis. um, Mm -hmm. And yet I'm having a different experience at the same time. And so how do I respect that I'm actually embodying a marginalized identity being non-binary with also holding accountability for myself based on my past lived experience. And you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's so messy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so messy. Yeah. And, um, can I put on my coaching slash advising hat for one second? Please do. These DMs, have you ever thought of being like, 
like have some standard language saved in a note on your phone that you can copy and paste and say, hey, because of blah, 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 emotional labor, da, 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 you would word it better than I would. Um, <laughs> I, I'm happy to answer this question, but I need you to Venmo me 25 bucks or whatever mm. feels, feels appropriate. Yeah. Like a good energetic exchange. Um, or it's like, I'm not available for this right now. Um, here's my program that you can sign up for. I know it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. And part of what you're hinting at or directing me to is to like state a need and state a boundary. And it's <laughs> <Yep>. so hard. <laughs> Like I'm much, I'm like, no, I'd rather be a people pleaser and then compromise a need about and boundary in order to accommodate somebody else who I don't even know, who's asking a question that they could find an answer to if they spent two minutes on Google. Like, totally. I, it's so fascinating. And I think part of that is like, I want to be seen as valuable. I want to be seen as, as a resource, as a guide, as a teacher. And so I'm, you know, unconsciously trying to prove that all the time. Um, and it, it's, it's very, very tricky and, and you're right. I do need to come up with some language that's like really polite and really clear. That's very firm and, and teaches someone in that moment too how to approach someone who holds my identity and approach them with respect and thoughtfulness. Yeah. yeah. Brain picking is reserved for close friends and sometimes not even them. Right. <laughs> and if you want help drafting that, I'm happy to help. But Thank um, you. Yeah. Like it comes back to that question I ask myself all the time. Who benefits if I don't have this boundary? Who's benefiting if I drain myself answering all these DMs? I mean, there are plenty of teachers, leaders out there who in their profile says no DMs. No DMs. Like email me here if you really want to. Yeah. And I'm like, at what point did they put that in their profile? Was it when they had a thousand followers or when they had 10,000? Like, I think there's something in my brain that says, since you're still trying to grow your community, you aren't there yet. Like mm-hmm. you don't get to state that need or boundary yet, you mm-hmm. know, um, which again is like undermining myself, my lived experience, the work that I've gone through to unpack my gender identity, you know, the work that I've gone through to educate others about my gender identity, you know, it's, it's it, yeah, absolutely. It's so messy. Yeah. And I wonder if the question is, it's not at what point in terms of number of followers or how big your platform is, but like, what is your experience of someone being in DMs. Like for me, I don't know if I'll ever do that because I, I actually really like being in DMs with people way more than anything else. And, um, I actually do a lot of marketing that way. And for Mm -hmm. me, that works. But for some people, even if you have an audience of 400 or, you know, something relatively small, like you don't have, you don't have to do anything. Right. (laughs) Nothing is a have to. So I don't know. I love how this conversation is veered into social media. Like I know. So many different places. It's so great. It's been really fun chatting with you. Yeah, this has been so fun. And I'm I'm just super excited to do more of these. And I mean, I have to shout out Michelle Cassandra Johnson again, because we're probably going to talk about her every single episode. But she's we probably gonna, will. She's going to be our first guest, which yes. is so exciting. So stay tuned. Um, and my dear friend, Charlie Red is also going to be among our first guests. And yeah, we're just going to... We're gonna keep it going. Yeah, we've got some real badasses lined up, basically. Yeah. Including us. I'm gonna yes. do that for you and me. Do it. <laughs> do it. I'll follow your lead. So this is episode two, our first official episode. And the next episode we'll spend time hearing more about Lauren's background. And I'll put Lauren on the hot spot and ask <laughs> Lauren all the good questions, I hope. And um, we hope that you enjoyed the conversation and we look forward to to tuning in with you next time. Yeah, take care, y'all.
Death, 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 death